Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. And joining me for episode 244 of the podcast is my co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? Doing good, man. We're, we're closing in on that. Uh, quarter of a thousand mark. That's that's pretty neat. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Uh, this podcast has been going on for like, I think I think this is season seven or eight. I I have lost track uh, between the switch from uh, from from baseball prospectus over to to uh, to to OTM and now I'm like ah, I don't know where it is but anyhow we've been doing this for a long time and you've been on this podcast for over a hundred of these I think right it's got to be you're 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 definitely yeah, over, this over is at 100. least four years at least four of those years has been with me yeah yeah so it's good stuff also good stuff is that the Red Sox are extremely relevant again um, so, you know, last week, if you thought last week was a positive podcast, buckle up. Um, this is going to be a real positive show. So Keaton, I don't know what you're going to do, but you know, <laughs> we're, we're going to have some fun here. Um, so let's get right to it. The Red Sox, uh, have been absolutely dominant lately since May 13th. The Red Sox are nine and two with three straight series wins, including really big series wins versus Houston and Seattle. Um, if they can continue playing well against the Chicago White Sox, I mean, that would be a third really quality opponent that they've taken on. But the biggest reason 
uh, for this has been the offense. So, Keaton, um, the numbers are insane for uh, all of these these players on the Red Sox during this stretch. Devers, Story, Martinez, Kike, Xander, Vasquez, Cordero, JBJ. Every one of those guys is contributing in a meaningful way. Every one of them has a WRC plus um, over 100 during that span. Uh, and three of these metahumans have a WRC plus uh, north of 200 during that uh, stretch. Those three are Devers, Story, and J.D. Martinez. Out of those three, who has impressed you the most and why? And why is the answer Trevor Story? <laughs> yeah, that is exactly the answer. Um, well, the, the reason why it is so impressive is because it is such a 180 from where things were going before. And it was like flip of a switch. All of a sudden, it's just dinger central and um he had none entering the month i believe all eight of his home runs have come this month um and like 27 of his rbis or something absurd like that uh just the absolute craziness of the month that he has had offensively and this was kind of like i mean this <laughs> this is obviously a bit more than what we expected but we thought we were getting a pretty impressive offensive talent and it obviously took a bit to transition there was a shorter spring training so that probably didn't help uh changing teams always difficult especially coming to the american league east playing for either boston or new york really tough transition um and it's finally just all clicking so it feels good um, for story that that's finally going, you know, in the right direction. He's made up incredibly for lost time here over the last month, um, but by far, what he's done the last—I mean, you just outlined the last eleven games, but really the entire month has just been absurd, and that really feels like the catalyst for everything else because we we talked about um, on the the precap because we're diving into every single game so even the painful ones we got to talk about those too um there were so many really like frustrating at bats and frustrating games for the entire lineup but it was just like we had that like one nothing losses and two to one losses where red Sox were stranding like 11 12 13 bat runners on base and really it was like all we need is just kind of like one more batter to get things going and those things will start to turn around and really kind of story put all of that on his back and was like, yeah, don't worry, I got you. And that's kind of trickled out to the rest of the lineup. Now, Kike, um, he's turned himself around, as you pointed out. He's got a 137 WRC plus in this time span. He finally got on the board with a homer. Um, Cordero, too, holding down the bottom of the lineup has been massive. Uh, that was through the first month and a half of the year. Um, just a pit. And really killed a lot of rallies and was a big part of why, um, you know, the offense wasn't scoring a lot of runs because anytime they had a, a rally getting guys on base, uh, it would die at the bottom three. Now, somebody is there, can get on base and get a hit and turn it over. <laughs> that really changes the entire dynamic of the whole lineup top to bottom. So, um, story in the, the six hole, Cordero in the seven or eight, wherever he's at, um, you know, 
story to lengthen it, Cordero to turn it over. Those two guys have really changed the dynamic of this lineup over the last two weeks, three weeks. Yeah, they really have. Um, and and I want to get back to, to Story's line here for a second because it is just so remarkable, and he was just AL Player of the Week as well. Um, seven home runs, 19 RBI, four stolen bases with an 829 slugging percentage and a 228 WRC plus uh, over his last 11 games. Uh, the the most shocking thing to me about that is the 19 RBIs. That is just an incredible uh, amount of RBIs over that time span. Um, you know, obviously leads the league during that stretch, um, but he's running the bases really well. He's giving us the great defense that we've been seeing uh, pretty much all year long. And, uh, you know, people told us when we were worried, like, hey, you know, this dude starts slow and plus he didn't have a spring training. But like, I didn't think the dude was going to make up for it in a week. No. In a half, I guess, you know, like he's really, uh, he's, he's gone a uh, super saiyan like level, whatever. I don't know. I haven't watched Dragon Ball Z in a while, but like he's really <laughs> yelling and doing some Kamehameha stuff over here. Yeah, we had that one game, like the three homer game, where I think in total he had like five hits. Yeah, we um, were recording during that. Remember, we I, yeah. he had the one dong, and then he had the second dong, and then when we got off the recording. He had his third dong. Yeah, and that raised his WRC plus from seventy to one twelve in one game. That's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's making up for a there. lot of time. Um, maybe the weirdest line though out of these top three guys who we're discussing is is JD Martinez though. So. He's been crazy hot over uh, his last 10 games as well. Two home runs, just six RBI. But the slash line is borderline uh, Barry Bonds. It's 525, (laughs) 565, 825 during that time span. Um, It's weird because he seems to be just barreling everything, but also not hitting it out of the park. Um, He's carrying a very high BABIP as well, but like, Overall, JD is doing weird stuff this year. Uh, Matt actually wrote an article about this probably a week ago about how he's having just a different offensive season and he's not really tapping into the home run power as much as he is sort of tapping into that doubles power. And it's been really interesting to see him evolve and sort of change as the ball has seemed to change. He's really changed his approach as well. So J.D. Martinez has been really kind of a joy to watch. And um, the underrated thing about J.D. Martinez has just been the fact that this contract of, of J.D.'s has been, has to be in the conversation for like top three Red Sox uh, free agent contracts of all time. I think you're talking about like J.D., Manny, and then I don't know who would be the third one, but like those two were great contracts. If if this runs out at the end of the year, J.D. Martinez has been so productive for his entire time here. Yeah. I mean, you can even stretch that out beyond just this 10-game, 11-game sample, too. Currently leading all of the American League in batting average at 366 for the entire season. He is only two points behind Manny Machado for all of the major leagues. Uh, 408 OBP. On the season, and I think what's pretty impressive over that that smaller sample size that you pulled um, is strikeout percentage is less than twenty 
and his walk rate is at 11. That's so it's not just like running into luck, although he does have a 633 bat bit. So that's right. <laughs> I mean, he is making a lot of contact and some good things are happening there. But um, he and Trevor Story, too, both his 14% walk rate. Um, both of those guys, it's not just making contact and lucky things happening. They're drawing out at bats, having really lengthy, good at bats, and getting on base by any means they need to. It's not just this, it's a hot streak where they're, you know, running into three singles or, or whatever, or <laughs> in Story's case, three dingers in a game, uh, and riding it out. Um, that's what makes you feel like this is much more sustainable, right? They're all having these really good at-bats, seeing the pitches really well, have a great feel for the zone. Um, and those are all things that are indicative of just not a flash-in-the-pan hot streak, but of sustained success that they can carry throughout the summer months. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and speaking of sustained success, though, Rafael Devers, um, quiet quiet 271 wrc plus during this span (laughs) because trevor story has been so insanely good like i just didn't really notice rafi uh catching fire like this you know like i did but then again like i kind of always expect it from rafi so when he's hitting home runs when he's contributing in different ways i'm just like yeah rafi's really freaking good like MVP candidate. We started talking about Rafa as an MVP candidate last year, but he's been the steadiest offensive producer for this team. I, I think even even including JD Martinez, because we we talked about the transition that JD has made to to being more of like a doubles guy, and he's still definitely contributing power, but it's not Devers power. It's not light tower, home run power. And Devers has just quietly no matter what the hell's going on with the balls, no matter how cold it is outside, Devers just like, mm, I'm just going to hit moonshots all the time. Uh, <laughs> and and the guy over this span has a higher slugging percentage than either Story or J.D. Martinez at 872. So, like, uh, I don't know how you contend with this team, with these guys uh, being this hot right now. And it's a real nice problem to have. Um, especially because Xander's been a little bit down. I mean, over this stretch, we should mention he's got a 121 WRC plus, which is by no means bad, but like he's not he's not the guy carrying the offense like he has been at different stretches uh, during the year, and it's been totally fine because these other guys are supernovas. Yeah, and this is what was frustrating about the first you know a little over a month to the season was we knew this was how good things could go. And it was so frustrating to watch the entire lineup be bad. Like with the exception of really Devers and Bogarts who, um, and I will partially include JD cause he was, he did miss some games to injury. So he hasn't been there the entire time, but when he's there, he's been really good. But like outside of mainly those two guys, Devers and Bogarts, the entire lineup was all just a crater. And it was so frustrating to watch knowing how good this offense could be. And now we're seeing it. And that's why I never really felt, even though they were last in the division and things were not going very well at all, like the pitching and the defense was so good that you knew the offense had to turn around at some point and things were just going to start clicking again. And, and I mean, I, may, I mentioned it multiple times on the precap. I was like, this offense is going to get hot and they're going to run into a streak of 13 wins in a row. 
and then we're going to forget all about the first month. And that's what's happening now. We're halfway there. So knock on wood, we're halfway there. But we knew this was going to happen. And it was just so frustrating, like, waiting for it to happen because it was just so painful to watch while we were waiting. But now that it is finally happening, it's like, oh, God. Boy, do I love watching good baseball. Is this just simply good players getting hot or, you know, water finding its level here with these guys? Or is there another Rob Manfredi type thing going on here (laughs) where, like... (laughs) He was he probably was watching how offense was ridiculously down across the board, like guys like Mark Marcus Simeon struggling mightily, Carlos Correa not living up to his contract, et cetera, et cetera. Because the calendar flipped to May, and all of a sudden, a lot of these guys who were really struggling to do anything in the month of April uh, have gotten ridiculously hot. Like your boy Mookie Betts comes to mind. His May has oh, been. Heck yeah absolutely insane the guy has like nine home runs in may um you know so there's been a lot of guys who have seen this turnaround so it does have me thinking are these balls no longer in the humidors like they've been pretty much for the start of the year like how much of this is just these guys are good they figured it out how much of this do you think is really rob messing with some stuff honestly it's probably a mix of all of it yeah um, so. The short spring training, I think, definitely affected guys. Um, particularly guys, like you mentioned, that have been slow starters. Like Nick Pavetta, it took him a really long time to find his mechanics. Like he needs that spring training to feel things out. Uh, then he was kind of doing that on the fly through his first four starts. And it didn't look good there for a while, but now he's figured it out and he looks great. Um, same thing with the hitters. Um, I think there was a lot of slow starts because the guys were still – just trying to figure things out had a, a lot shorter of a ramp up period than they normally do. And um, that definitely affects them. So I also don't think that it would not shock me if Manfred changed the balls um, in some way, either like you mentioned, they're, they're not preparing them in how they had before, or if he's just straight out swapping them out for the bouncy balls. Cause we, you know, we have evidence that he's just randomly sending the bouncy balls uh, to higher profile matchups before it wouldn't shock me if he was trying to do that again or just league wide implemented it. So would not shock me. It's probably a mix of both. Wouldn't it be nice to just have the same consistency that other sports seem to have with their ball? Like I was, I was um, watching basketball the other day and I was like, Oh, that's kind of weird. Basketball is now a Wilson ball. And like I, I got down a little rabbit hole and I started reading about how like the 37 year contract they had with Spalding had run out, like all the efforts that they were making to use the same leather tannery and all this to make it the same type of quality. And, and I was just like, hmm, OK, they go through all that effort to make sure that the basketball feels like exactly the same every single year. And Rob Manfred's just like, woo, whatever. Let's just like spin a (laughs) wheel and see what the hell comes up with the balls every single year. Like, wouldn't it just be nice to have one ball that we could just expect some consistency out of? Like, how have we not figured this out? You know, you look at the NPB and they're using that ball that's, you know, machine made. It's it's got a little natural tack to it. It's just crazy that we're still at this point where we're in the Wild West with baseballs. 
Yeah, it is. You're 100 right. It'd be, it would be nice. It's weird. Um, but let's let's get to the other positive thing with all these these hot uh, hitters right now. So one one of my biggest concerns, and I know it was a, a concern that you voiced even before the season, was the bottom of the lineup, and uh, particularly you know, catcher position, Christian Vasquez, who's been down offensively over the last year and change. Uh, Francisco Cordero, or oh, Jesus, Francisco, <laughs> Franchi Cordero. Jesus, I just went back in time. Um, Franchi Cordero, um, you know, expecting nothing out of him in, in Dahlbeck, essentially, before this season, and then Jackie Bradley Jr. and Arroyo. Those were about as miserable of offensive situations as you could have expected, but all of a sudden, Vasquez, he's hot. He's got a home run, nine RBIs, batting three seventy five with a five thirty one slug over his last nine games, so that's incredible. Your boy Cordero, who I had zero belief in, uh, hit that clutch granny uh to to walk the socks off the other day uh 294 529 slug with a 138 wrc plus over the last 10 games actually playing a little bit of slick defense over there i actually i think i like him better than than dahlbeck already defensively um he's definitely a better runner as well and then jbj continues to hit well at home 484 slug over the last nine games i'll take that from him with elite defense all of a sudden, these holes that the Red Sox have had are not really there anymore because Bobby D's on the bench struggling, Arroyo's on the bench struggling, Ploiecki's on the bench struggling. The only regular who's really still struggling is Alex Verdugo, which is befuddling to me because I think that Verdugo is ultimately going to end up having a fine year because he's just way too damn good of a player. But, I mean, how sustainable is this? Which one of these guys towards the bottom of the lineup are you believing in most in which one of these, like, really, when you feel it in your gut, needs to be addressed and, you know, a button needs to be pressed at some point to either bring up a replacement? Well, Franchi's the guy I believe in the most. Um, it's a shock to even feel myself say that. But kind of along the lines of what we outlined, or what I just outlined talking about uh, Jenny Martinez and, and Story, Francisco Cordero, 11% walk rate, 20% strikeout rate on the season. That dude has a feel for the zone now. This is a completely different player this time around. Like, he's finally figured it out. Um, whether the, you know, the power will follow now and um, is is left to be seen, but he's hitting 255, 328, 418 on the season outside of just that small window that you outlined. And he is, again... Drawing out at bats, not striking out. I mean, his previous strikeout rates were like 38, almost near 40. So he's basically cut his strikeout rate in half. He's walking 11% of the time, which is massive. Um, taking a look at the entire like body of work of the season for all of these hitters, um, that is the only Red Sox hitter who has a double-digit walk rate. Trevor Story is the next closest at 98 um, but he's the only one that is actually over 10. And that tells me that, you know, he has that feel for the zone. Um, and again, makes me fully buy into that being sustainable for a decent amount of time. The, the amount that the strikeouts are down is huge. Uh, Cause that was the thing, right? It really kind of felt like he was just selling out completely all of his power. And now he's kind of reined that in and is now just, you know what? doesn't have to be a home run every time. Just get the bat on the ball and see what happens. 
draw out good at bats. And he really does feel like a completely different player this time around. I know he made some adjustments to his swing down in AAA, was having a really good season down there. Um, it feels like it's going to stick. And I think I can kind of address a couple things at once here. I agree with you. I'd love to see him at first every day. I'm good with Dahlbeck. Uh And that would be the one that I would address. Probably send him down, bring up Duran. And I think, you know, we have, we actually, I do want to get to the question now because it's probably, yeah, I think that's probably, here. probably relevant. <laughs> we got a, a question from a great listener of ours, a great big lark. He says, it feels like the leash for Dahlbeck is about to run out. Uh, which position player will slash should come up if he gets option? Duran seems ready. Uh, but does it make sense to call up an outfielder with JBJ and Cordero playing well? Uh, seems like they don't want Casas up yet. Any other options? Um, so, so let's talk about that. If you do decide to send down Dahlbeck because you just feel like, yeah, you want to give the job to, to Cordero every day and you're not particularly worried about, uh, who's going to back Cordero up at first base. I mean, does it make sense to have another outfielder on this roster considering you're probably, I, I don't even know who would be the backup first baseman. I guess Ploiecki would be the backup first baseman if you did send down Dahlbeck yeah him or I don't know we tried a royal there for a few innings last year right yeah that didn't go well he got hurt immediately <laughs> remember that yeah I do <laughs> um yeah I just think I want to see Duran get consistent at bats at the major league level I know um you know JBJ's in a bit of his his hot streak right now but still um overall pretty disappointing i'm still not convinced that he should be getting every day at bats i'd love to just see him as a fourth outfielder late inning defensive replacement and give duran every day at bats instead of dahlbeck and have franchi play first and then i think you just figure out who's your backup at first until costas is ready and then um go from there yeah i think the only way you do the the uh the duran thing is if you are going to play him every day uh, over JBJ and really just use JBJ exactly how you said. Um, I'm, I do think that Dahlbeck probably has a little bit more use as a bench player at this point than JBJ would, um, just because he can back up first and third. But since he's not particularly good at all, uh, doing any of those things, <laughs> You know, like, yeah, it probably is more useful to have a good defensive replacement uh, fourth outfielder because if the game is in hand, you definitely want JBJ's defense out there instead of Durant's. And we've talked a lot about that on the podcast. So, yeah, I think it is JBJ, uh, the fourth outfielder, and Durant up that makes the most sense to me as well. Yep. Um, all right. So I can't believe we are at this point where we are believing in Cordero. Uh, I still probably need a little bit more time, Keaton. I, I, uh, I do agree with you that he looks like a different player. I'm not convinced by anything that JBJ or Vasquez is doing just because I've watched them so long. You know, I just like, yeah, this is a hot streak. Cool. But Cordero is intriguing to me. Um, and it, it does seem like he's realized that, hey, I'm a giant human being who doesn't have to swing all out to get to my power. Um, he's just crazy athletic, and it's like he's still figuring that out. Um, so maybe there is something here, and if there is, 
at the very least, this holds the Red Sox over until Casas forces the issue. And that's a nice place to be. Yeah, it sure is. Feels like a lot different than just a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Three yeah. weeks ago. I just can't believe this worked. You know, yeah. like or it's or it seems like it's working. We will we'll see. Let's check in in a couple weeks. But right now I'm cautiously optimistic. But anyhow, all of this has added up to the Red Sox uh, being in a, a very different position than they were in just a few weeks ago. Uh, Red Sox are going up against Chicago. As we said, the, I don't know if the game started right now. It was a rain delay before we got on the podcast. But, um, you know, they're they're just a couple, uh, two and a half games back of the third wild card at this point, just two games under 500. The offense now ranks third in the American League in runs scored at 190. Going forward with this, you know, new look offense actually performing like we predicted it would preseason, do you now expect this offense to continue to produce at a top three level in the American League? Because that's what we fully expected for it before the season. Yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, this is where we thought the offense would be. They're a top three in run scored now. I wouldn't expect that to change by the end of the year. Yeah, I still like this lineup better than uh, the lineup that the Yankees are putting out there. That's one of the teams that's scoring more runs than them. I think the Angels probably have a little bit of a higher offensive ceiling with with Trout and Otani um, at the top there, and especially if Rendon is right. You know, there's some. Some interesting things happening with the Angels right now, but there's no reason you shouldn't be squarely in that discussion. So I agree with you. Um, all right, let's get to the pitching here a little bit. Good news, Keaton. The thing that we wanted to happen happened. It seems like things are really coming oh up us lately. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Brazier uh, was optioned to AAA after we talked about this and we were like, yeah, they should really option Ryan Brazier, but they're not going to. Um so yeah, that's good. They did. Um, and unfortunately it seems like he did sneak through waivers. So he's still in the system, but, um, great. So he's coming back. Yeah. At some point we'll probably rear his ugly head, his tilted head. Um, but, uh, the, the pen here at this point still is, is the issue on this team. I think it's, it's fair to say that it is the biggest issue on this team. Uh, just simply because we have a solution in right field, uh, potentially in endeavors. I mean, uh, in Duran, if we need to press that button, Casas is looming. Cordero looks good at first, like, but bullpen is still the area where we're just kind of grasping at straws. You've got Hauk, you've got Matt Strom, you've got John Schreiber, who's been an absolute revelation. You've got Hansel Robles sometimes, and then it's just like, okay, you know, uh, anybody who comes in other than that has. Big time uh, bad energy vibes for blowing the lead uh, and hasn't performed quite well. So all of this gets to my next question, Keaton. Whether or not the Red Sox need to reevaluate Garrett Whitlock's role once there's somebody uh, available to come back, whether that's Chris Sale who could slot into the rotation, James Paxton when he comes back, hell, even... Connor Siebold, when he gets off the I.L., or Josh Winkowski, if they want to bring him up. Because Garrett Whitlock actually hasn't been performing 
that well in the rotation. So over his last six, six starts since moving there full-time, Whitlock has a 4.7 ERA, 3.26 xFIP, so that's quite a bit better. He's averaging less than four innings pitched as a starter. Um, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I still believe in him long-term as a starter. But I am starting to think that if this team can get itself back to 500, he's probably more valuable pitching to like a two ERA and closing out games uh, for this team than he is in a starting role. Yeah. Well, so we don't know what we're going to get from Sale or Paxton when they return. Um, It may not go great. It may go very well. Maybe something in between. Probably more likely something in between. Um, But they are going to pitch. Uh, there's also chance that <clears throat> uh, Rich Hill and Michael Waka don't continue the success that they've had. Uh, there's a longer track record for that not being the case. Hill um, reaching higher and higher innings, milestones. It's always going to be kind of like playing with fire. So I don't really know what's going to go on with the rotation. Whitlock being there helps hold that down. I would, I still, I agree with you. I I think that Long term, that's where he lies. But I, th- I don't think you can wait until um, Sale or Paxton come back to evaluate that. Like, aren't, aren't they both after the trade deadline at this point with the setbacks that they had? I know Paxton has been progressing a little bit better, but did have a yeah. setback. I mean, I, I think that they're probably both looking at sometime around July uh, for, for coming back at this point. So... I mean, if you, if you feel like you, you – let's just say the Red Sox play another week and get over 500. Um, do you have to make that move immediately and just accept a subpar option as your fifth starter right now? No, my solution would be go get a closer somewhere else and keep okay. him in the rotation. So keep Whitlock in the rotation. But that's that's the thing. So I don't think you need to reevaluate. I don't want to wait until Sale or Paxson come back to evaluate that. I think – Keep him where he's at and go get a closer. Do you think he'll improve in the rotation? Yeah. Because he because he hasn't been great in also like not even going four innings per start uh on average is is not good even by today's standards. Sure, but there is also again some things working against him. There was a uh short spring training where he wasn't being stretched out. He started in the bullpen where he wasn't pitching uh long innings and running up. So he's basically being stretched out on the fly as we go now. Um, the issues with Hauk and Toronto were kind of what thrust him into it. So I don't know if that was part of their plans or to immediately start stretching him out. Because uh, prior to his first start, he had pitched one inning. Right. Um, so he <laughs> there was it wasn't like there was no easing into him being stretched out from the bullpen role to starting role. So um, six starts isn't a isn't a massive sample size. He has gotten into the fifth on a couple occasions, so it's I don't think it's a major cause for concern. I think he'll get better. I think he needs to be stretched out more. And I just think, like we talk a lot about, give a guys a role and then let them flourish. If you take that away from him again, you're just fucking with the roles again. Just tell him he's a starter. He's going to be a starter and can go get a closer and let him flourish as a starter and just know that. Give him the confidence that that's where he's going to be so he doesn't have to worry about, oh, shit, what if I'm going to go be a closer again? 
kind of right. thing. Like just tell him he's going to be a starter, let him be a starter, let him focus on that, and then go get a closer somewhere else. I actually, I think I disagree with you um, because the the roster construction was really bad uh, preseason. We we've talked about that. Like the fact that Garrett Whitlock had to move from the pen to the bullpen when just a couple injuries happen, uh, from the pen to the rotation when just two injuries happen, when Rich Hill went on the, the COVID IL and when Michael Walker had his stint, like the fact that that had to happen, um, coupled with the the whole thing with Hauk, uh, you know, not being vaxxed and not being able to start in Toronto, like kind of all of those things are contributed towards Whitlock having to be there. But the problem was just lack of options, right? There just wasn't Winkowski and, and Seabold were the only guys on the 40 men uh, who could potentially start. I mean, there was, there was just a lot of problems with how this thing was built right now, but I actually don't know if this is the best way to handle Whitlock. Um, especially now that we know that we're going to have him on the team for a really long time at a reasonable contract. Like, I don't know if it's best for his first taste of being a full-time starter in the major leagues to be like, yeah, we're just going to uh, stretch you out on the fly in the middle of us trying to claw our way back into contention right now. You know, he's clearly more capable and comfortable right now as a, as a bullpen option. And I, I kind of just want to, like tell Whitlock like okay go be dominant in the pen for the rest of this year and then next year in the offseason you are a starter we'll stretch you out you'll have a very proper spring training and you will come in fully knowing the knowledge I Garrett Whitlock am a starter from now on you know I kind of just want to give him that I feel like the to go back to your point about roles I don't know if like just telling him he's a starter, but you know, letting him kind of do this stretch out on the fly thing is great. It probably isn't, but it also kind of goes back to your point about the best time to address this would have been in the off season, which we've talked about quite extensively. Um, and there were some missed opportunities there to address the bullpen in the off season. Um, I think that the offense performing the way that it would, is now it's going to help the bullpen because I there's going to be less of those. I mean, they lead the league right now in blown saves, and a big part of that is because the offense wasn't scoring any runs. So when the save opportunities they did have, it was like one to nothing, two to one. There wasn't any room for error. The offense now, there should be a lot more like six three. Six four save opportunities, and, and I don't want like I hate saying that like there's. We can give up a run and still be fine at this point, but there's so many games that where they gave up one run and then went to extras and then lost, and that was how the the save ended up getting blown. Like I think in prior to French Guerrero's walk off grand slam, they had six games where they had the lead in the eighth or later that ended up going to extra innings and they lost all six. Uh, that was over half of their blown saves. So it's it's not like they were you know, fully imploding and they were up eight to three and then someone's given up five in the ninth to tie it 
kind of situation. It's like the offense wasn't scoring any runs. So by the time it got to the ninth, it was only one to nothing anyway. And then, you know, someone ruined a great Nick Pavetta start kind of thing. Or a great Michael Waka start. So I think with the offense scoring more runs, maybe that's going to help relieve some of the pressure in the bullpen. Um, but I, I just feel like the best time to address this would have been the offseason. Second best time is now. I don't think we should wait until we have some uh, someone better in a couple months. Or not necessarily someone better, but somebody returning to the rotation in a couple months to reevaluate. Um and I think just they're going to need that bullpen arm anyway. So why wait? So your best solution is to just go out and get a bullpen arm now. Yeah, that's I feel like that would help the team. Yeah, I have no issues with that. I, I think you could also make the argument, though, that with the offense finally performing like we kind of expected it would, that that also makes it easier for you to replace Garrett Whitlock with a much worse starting pitcher. You know, like you could probably stand to have a Winkowski in there um, if you know your offense is going to go out and put up like six runs or something like that uh, per game. Uh, and you can probably withstand that a little bit more. But I get your point. I mean, there's really the issue is Bloom built a very imperfect roster here. Uh, and no matter where you end up putting Whitlock right now, you're robbing some other place on the roster. So, right, yeah, yeah. The, that's, the, that's my point of seems like the best solution comes from outside the organization. Yeah. Which then leads to then wouldn't the best time to address this have been two months ago? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Big, dumb off season. I agree. Yeah. Um, positive, though. I told you this was going to be an uber-positive podcast. Nathan Eovaldi said, hold my beer, after uh, people were really getting on him for his five-homer outing, and went out and struck out 11 guys, a career best, and an absolute gem uh, in his le- his uh, next start right after that. So that was a great start. Uh, I watched that one and really enjoyed what I saw from Nate. Uh, the velocity was great. Uh, we got a, a question about this, actually, from uh, Patty O'D. Uh, he said, why is Eovaldi giving up so many more home runs compared to last year? Is his velocity down? No. Is his location bad? Sort of. Is it a spin rate thing? I don't think so. Uh, pitching around the plate this much will lead to some homers, but what we're seeing uh, seems to be a bit more than a blip. I, I do think that we kind of hit on this last last podcast with with Nathan Eovaldi is that like you you mentioned one thing that really did stand out to me is that when he was pitching out of the zone um guys were getting to his ball out of the zone and and making good contact on it um so that's one thing that i think was was different because he seems to operate better in the zone with his really pinpoint command he seems to be able to put it in the zone where it's difficult for people to deal with the ball. Um, so I I think if anything, these home run issues have probably been due to his command being just a little bit off within the zone. That That's my best guess because I don't see anything wrong with the, the pitches themselves in terms of velocity or spin rate or anything like that. No, I tried to dig into this a little bit more and I found something that stuck out to me as interesting 
Um, his slider is very ineffective this year. Um, I also think there's coupled with, so I mean, the question specifically refers to last year. Last year was an anomaly compared to his career. Right? Yeah. His home run per five ball rate was like 6%. Eight the rest of his career something, been yeah. like 20. Yeah. So, I mean, coming into his previous start, it was 30, which is also like, you know, a bit of an anomaly the other way. So I kind of figured that was going to going to come back. But um, comparing to last year is a bit tough because that was quite the, uh, the outlier. But his slider this year is really bad, and I'm not sure why. Um, he's only getting a 24% whiff rate on it and a 6.5% put-away rate, which... Compared to use his slider usage from a year ago, his whiff rate was 35%, so that's down 11%. And his put-away percent was 22.6, so that's down 16%. And the expected batting average on a slider is 630 this year compared to 207 last year. Spin rate velocity, though, is not down. It's pretty similar. So I'm not sure... The movement, too. I took a look at the movement. Um, horizontal movement is basically identical. Vertical movement, he has is an inch and a half less this year compared to last year, but that doesn't seem like that much of a dis- of a of a difference that would lead to like 150 points at batting average. That tells me it's a pure command thing with that pitch. He probably just doesn't have feel for it right now because yeah. if the shape of the pitch is that similar but the results are are that much worse it has to be a location of the pitch thing yep so it, it it's it's probably breaking into guys bats a little bit more than he wants it to this year i would expect that you know the weird thing with the balls i mean the pitchers have also mentioned that the ball feels a little different uh as well. So I wonder if, if that's one of the things that's that's happening here. So I I gotta think that Eovaldi's gonna figure this out. At some point he's gonna settle into like a nice fifteen percent uh home run to fly ball ratio, which is still a tad high, but it's something that you can live with if you have the command that Eovaldi yeah. typically has in the stuff that he typically has. Yep. Yep. All right, uh, let's get to our other listener questions here. We got uh, many from Ethan, but we decided to choose the one that we <laughs> like the best here. Um, Ethan says, Trevor Story, better than Bogarts. Uh, so, Keaton, I did a little bit of research here, and I decided to go back all the way to 2016 because both of these guys have played quite a bit since then, and I think it's fair to say that they've been in their primes during that time. Wouldn't you know, they have the exact same WOBA during that time span of 631, or I should say 361. Geez, 631 would be quite good. Um, yeah. <laughs> Xander has the higher WRC+, plus, 124 to 112. The higher WAR, 25 to 22.6, according to Fangraphs. Um, and and looking you know across the board, Xander is just a little bit of a better hitter. Uh, 294, 364, uh, 483, Trevor Story, 270, 339, 520. 
uh, you know, also had the benefit of course for a lot of that time, uh, adding to the, the slugging percentage, more home runs and stolen bases, but, uh, Bogarts with the edge and runs in RBI, uh, both ex- extremely good base runners. I think Bogarts is a better player overall, uh, than Trevor story. What say you Keaton? Uh, well, the defense, there's a big gap between the two. Big gap. Yep. Big old gappy gap. Um, offense, though, is pretty similar. Um, what's the... How old is Xander right now? It's like 30... 29, I believe. 29? They're both 29? I think they're Crazy. both 29. Uh, let me just take a quick look-see here. Yep, both 29. Uh, Xander is 29 and seven months and Trevor story is 29 and six months. Wow. These guys are very similar. They are very similar. They're the same height too. (laughs) Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty close. Are you going to make me pick? Yep. Yeah, I guess I go Xander. Damn right. But it's pretty close. It is pretty close. I really wanted to go Story. I tried to find a way to pick Story. But but you couldn't. Yep. Yeah. Well, the other interesting thing to note there is that WRC Plus does account for park factors as well. So uh, Trevor Story's numbers uh, during that stretch we mentioned do look a little bit uh, inflated. So WRC Plus kind of accounts for that a little bit. giving Xander the larger edge in offense than it appears just just by the numbers themselves. So, interesting to note. Uh, Next question comes from Headliners. Odds the Red Sox are above 500 by mid-June. 100%. They're above 500 by Monday. Shoot. I agree with Keaton. Slacker has our next two questions. He says, will Whitlock stick in the rotation for the remainder of the season? Keaton, do you say yes or no? I'm going to say no, because I don't think they're going to go get bullpen help. So I think what you outlined is probably going to be the case. Someone comes back to the rotation and he gets moved to the bullpen. I agree. And the next question says, is Tanner Houck a permanent bullpen arm? I say yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, cave. we're in agreement. Wow. But we did have some disagreement on this incredibly positive podcast. So Keaton, thank you for that. That was quite entertaining. Uh, and I enjoyed your company over the last uh, 48 minutes and 37 seconds. Is that continuing or is it, did that stop at 48, 37? No, no, it's still continuing. I, okay, this, we're still live. So, you know. <laughs> I don't know if you were putting a cap on it, and then you're just like, you know, it was good, but you never reached my limit. <laughs> yeah, I can take it exactly 48 minutes and 37 seconds of Keaton before I explode. Uh, that would mean that I explode for the, the, the last 10 minutes of most of our podcasts, but, you know, that's not the case. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, my friend, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank all the listeners for tuning in. Uh, keep the listener questions coming. Check in on all the other shows on our network. Uh, sometimes we have the Over the Monster podcast. 
uh, with Matt and Brian. We uh, just released a brand new, wonderful uh, edition of the Red Sox On Deck podcast. You can check that out right now. Uh, Bob and Shelly recorded with Eric Cross, so uh, that was a good episode. And then uh, Keaton and Bailey Von Schneider uh, working very hard on the Precap podcast, which has become a must-listen for me. Uh, so definitely tune into that to kind of preview and recap all of the different series. Uh, find Keaton on Twitter at the Spoken Keats. You can find me on Twitter at, at @devjake, and you can find the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. And we appreciate you all. So uh, leave us a rate and review if you can, and uh, we'll be back in your ears next week. <laughs>